Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. It is Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022, just after 5 p.m. Eastern Time here on The Andrew Lawton Show, if you are listening live. If you are listening to a pre-recorded edition of the program, it is uh, whatever time it is for you, so you don't need me to tell you. But uh, thanks very much for listening to Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Back in the regular old studio, if you haven't noticed, I've been on the road for a little bit for work, so I was covering a bit of the travels as I was away, notably at the conference that never was in Albania about the Iranian resistance movement, which was a fascinating experience I'll have to talk more about in the future. I want to talk a little bit, actually, on this show about the travel process itself, because I experienced something which I didn't know about. I know you all think I know everything, but sometimes I learn new things, and not nearly enough as I should learn, but one thing that I came across uh, that the government had done and did very quietly is change the mask mandate for airports. Now, they didn't change the mask mandate for airplanes. You still get, like, thrown out of the plane over the prairies, and uh, you plummet to your death if you take off your mask for more than five seconds at a time on domestic flights and whatnot. But you actually don't need to wear your mask in airports anymore unless you're going through what the government calls a regulatory process. So basically, if you're going through the customs screening or you're going through the security screening or theoretically when you're boarding, but the boarding one is really fun because you also have to wear your mask, then take it off for them to verify your identity, then put it on, then walk on, and then sit down. And if you take a sip of water, you can take your mask off again. It's all because of the science. This is all science. And if you say no, you're a big, hady, hady, knuckle-dragging troglodyte. But it's the science. Well, maybe not. We'll talk about that in a couple of moments with my friend and colleague, Rupa Subramanya. But the thing about the mask mandates, which I find fascinating is that they have never really made sense. We, we all just sort of went along with them because we were told that it made sense. But I mean, you have the restaurant one, like you have to wear it when you're standing up and then when you're sitting, you can take it off because COVID has like an altitude level and the curfew because COVID only comes out at night. And the airport thing is great. If you're sitting in the restaurant, you can take it off. But if you're on the other side of the barrier sitting down, you have to keep it on. So what happened though, about a month ago, three weeks ago, the government very quietly eased the mass mandates for airports, as I just mentioned. So I didn't realize this until I got off my plane in Montreal and I was walking around, looking around, and I wasn't wearing a mask because I, in my experience, no one at the airport was really enforcing the mask rule like they are in the planes. And I was looking around, and I'm like, no one else was wearing a mask either. I'm like, oh, this is great. Okay, you know, a little libertarian paradise, not normally what Quebec is. And then I saw staff were also not wearing their masks. Staff were not, like Air Canada staff, airline staff, even a couple of airport security people. And I'm like, is Quebec, has Quebec just had enough with this? And then I looked into it and realized that, oh, actually, in Quebec, uh, people do not have to comply with the social mask requirement. And what they have done is gone along with what the government said. But then it struck me at Pearson Airport, very different story. Pearson Airport is still telling people wear their masks. Ottawa Airport, I'm told, is still telling people wear their masks. So the airports are going beyond the federal mandates now, which I don't think they should be allowed to do. Because, again, the airports are entities of government. 
They didn't have the latitude to say no to the mask mandates when the government was mandating them. So why do they get to unilaterally put their own on? So I never thought I'd say this, but good for Montreal Airport for actually not imposing this mask theater on people when the federal government is not making them. And when I say mask theater, it's not just the mask mandates. The vaccine mandates for air travel, very similar, no longer in effect, but we know it could come back at any moment, which is, I think, the critical problem here. These things are still hanging over us like the sword of Damocles. And I want to just remind you, if you haven't heard it a bajillion times right now, this is what Trudeau says he's doing throughout the entirety of his COVID response. Mr. Speaker, from the beginning of this pandemic, we have followed science, we have had Canadians' backs, we've actually seen uh, a uh, less severe impact on lives, on livelihoods, and our economy uh, than many other countries, including the ones that the Leader of the Opposition named. We will continue to follow the science, we will continue to lean on each other as Canadians as we make it through uh, this pandemic. Uh, we know that it's tiring, we know it's exhausting, but we also know that having each other's backs is the way through this pandemic. Having each other's backs, okay, you can take a drink for that one. Follow the science. You definitely got to take a drink for that one. I think you're in an alcohol-induced coma now if you take a shot anytime Justin Trudeau says follow the science. But that's been the message. Follow the science. Follow the science. Why are you mandating vaccination? Well, we're following the science. Why are you mandating masks? Well, we're following the science. Well, are they actually? There was a tremendous piece this morning in Common Sense. That is uh, the substack that Barry Weiss launched by my friend and colleague Rupa Subramanya, host of the Rupa Subramanya show here on True North. And she says that Canada's travel ban did not have a scientific basis. Now, this isn't just Rupa's own opinion or conclusion here. This actually comes from court documents that the federal government has filed revealing their approach to these things. But uh, let me just say first, off. If you haven't caught this yet, head over to commonsense.news, commonsense.news, and the story is called Court Documents Reveal. Canada's travel ban had no scientific basis. And you can see it there by Rupa Subramanya in Common Sense. Now, actually, just on the note, before we get into the meat of it, uh, Rupa wrote a fantastic piece during the Freedom Convoy that I cited in my book and have also talked about on the show a number of times in which she talks to the people of the convoy. And this was, again, something that you couldn't get from the mainstream media in Canada. You couldn't get from CBC or CTV. You had to go to an American substack at the time to really get that level of journalism that Rupa gave us. So, uh, Rupa, thank you for your persistence here. Let me let me try a different tack here in asking you about this. And, and I, I wonder what it is that you really got out or how how did you get this out of the court documents by the way because i think for a long time people have been trying to get information from government uh, with access to information requests the health canada has been saying yeah it's going to take us you know 72 years to to get through this we're very busy but you've actually got a lot of the information from the government through this that people have wanted for quite a while well this is this is now in the public domain anybody can access these documents as i did um it's you know you just go to the federal court uh make a request as i did and uh and they'll send you a link and you have uh these uh the the documents so anybody really has access to them at this point um and uh so i you know i i uh, went through them um uh you know very methodically i went through uh all of the transcripts and the the affidavits and i read read them quite thoroughly. Um, I spent my birthday 
uh, going through these court documents. I'm not joking. I, I spent all day reading through them. Um, but uh, Andrew, I mean, to your earlier question, you know, why why did I want to write this? Uh, I I I think this is this is one of the great. Um, I, I think this kind of thing needed to be exposed. I mean, we were we were told all along that uh, that this was about the science. Uh, we were that we're following the science. Trust us, we're following the science. We're constantly consulting experts. Uh, we're constantly reviewing these mandates, and we're uh, um, you know we're, we're we're doing all of this great stuff. But um, let's face it: at the end of the day, what what comes out uh, from these cross examinations is that uh, there was no science. Uh, this this secretive group that is within Transport Canada uh, doesn't have a single medical professional on their in their in their uh, in their team. Uh, the, the person who heads the team has a bachelor uh, has a bachelor's degree in English literature. That's that's her qualification. And um, and, and and so you know these are people who um, concocted uh, and designed the travel mandate, uh, and which affected five six million Canadians who couldn't even step on a train or a plane uh, to go see their loved ones, uh, you know, within Canada or overseas. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I felt, um, you know, as, as I was reading through it, you know, I felt that this really needed to be, the story needed to be told um, and that, uh, you know, you know, the public has a right to know. Uh, it's, it's not just the five, six million Canadians who were affected by it, but it's all of us. Uh, you know, when, when the government says they're following the science, you really have to uh, re really interrogate that more closely. You really have to, um, you know, start asking some serious questions. Well, what is the science? Who are the experts you're consulting? How are these decisions made? Why is it that when when you ask for more information, uh, you're 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 told uh, it's 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 cabinet confidence and we can't reveal this. Uh, we, we can't re tell you um, the, the process involved um, that that affected so many people, the lives of so many people. Um, and uh, so, you know, this is this is why I felt that this really needed to be told. And I'm glad that I was able to tell the story. When you talk about this committee that had no one with a, a scientific background on it, a lot of people would find that a little odd because we know that there are medical advisors around the government. I mean, Teresa Tam is one of the most notable examples of this. And I've always been under the understanding that she was and her team at Public Health Agency of Canada were involved in these mandates. So how do we know that it was coming from this body that didn't have a, a scientific background or anyone on it with a scientific background? Well, this comes through the cross-examinations. They were in charge of the travel mandate. They they designed the travel mandate. And um, if you read through the transcripts, you'll see that uh, Theresa Tam was not consulted on the travel mandates. Uh, PHAC uh, was, wasn't consulted on the travel mandates. In fact, you know, none of the top uh, epidemiologists were consulted on the travel mandate, yet the travel mandate was based on the science. Um, and, and so why were there no, um, you know, serious med uh, medical professionals, doctors, epidemiologists, infectious diseases specialists, why weren't they consulted on this? And that's a, that's a big question. Um, and that's very clear, uh, that, uh, very clear in the cross-examination. You know, and as I said, anybody can access these documents. I also want to, uh, you know, tell you a little bit about the two individuals who, um, who uh, you know, who, who, who are, you know, the, the two applicants in the case, um, you know, it, it, it takes extraordinary courage to do what they did. 
um, in, you know, in challenging this and um, challenging what they felt was um, unjust and, 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 you know, it's, it's a battle that they've been fighting for eight months. And, um, you know, it really is a David versus Goliath battle here. You know, two just average Canadians uh, decided to uh, take this upon themselves. And I also want to mention the lawyer. You know, he's only 30 years old. Uh, and I, you know, if not for his uh, cross-examination of the witnesses, we really wouldn't even have this information. We, we wouldn't have what we have. So, you know, I just want to put it out there that these three individuals have been incredibly amazing. And, uh, and you know, and I, you know, people, you know, uh, we owe a lot to to them. Now, I understand there is also a challenge, not I understand, I know there's a challenge coming up in the fall from uh, Brian Peckford and, and Maxine Bernier that the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms is taking up against the air travel vaccine mandate. Do you know, are these cases effectively the same? Are they, are they going after the same thing and using the same arguments? Um, so I'm not familiar with the Peckford case. I can't speak to that. Uh, but uh, as, as I understand, uh, four cases were... Um, being heard roughly at the same time or at the same time they were clubbed together. Um, they're all very similar. I believe the Peckford, you know, I, yeah, I, I can't really speak to the Peckford case. I don't, I don't know anything about it really. Because this one that you've got, this one that you've covered has not gotten much uh, media attention. Uh, so far, no. Um, the, the mainstream media has generally has has been uh, very silent on this. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not at all. I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but um, but you know, I, I am a little disappointed. I think this is huge. Um, you know, and as I say, anybody can access these documents and uh, you know and 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 find you know you know and and, and just verify what what I've what I've done. It, it's it's not 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 that hard. Um, but, um, but yeah, I'm just a bit disappointed that nobody in the mainstream media has really picked up on this, or maybe they've seen it, but they may, perhaps they don't want to touch it, but, uh, that would be a shame. I hope, I hope they're thinking on this changes because I think, I think this needs, um, a lot of mainstream attention as well. Are you optimistic that there will be a, a reckoning on this, either in the short term or the medium term? Because I think accepting what you've shared here, and, and I think what a lot of us have known and have been talking about before your story to some extent, although without the, the basis for it that you've been able to bring up here, it would, people would have to admit that they bought into what was effectively a lie. And I don't think a lot of people want to admit to that. I, I hope that there's some... Um, um, you know, accountability. I, I really, I really hope that that comes soon, um, uh, in whatever shape or form. But uh, the, you, you're, you can't ignore, you can't ignore, um, you know, what is out there. And uh, and I and I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that there will be some kind of reckoning down the road. What's the, the status of the case itself? I mean, obviously, if they've gone through the process of having the cross-examinations and the evidence and the depositions, uh, do you know when the actual trial is going to be? Uh, I think in September they're uh, hearing this, um, um, uh, the, the, um, they're, they're hearing the damages motion, I believe, and, uh, or the mootness motion. The attorney general has filed a mootness motion. So if that succeeds, then the whole thing just ends right there. Uh, but uh, if not, there's going to be a final hearing in October. 
So the the mootness, I'm glad you brought up the mootness motion because this is a very sneaky thing that the government does. And they do it in other cases as well, where they say, well, the vaccine mandate has been lifted. So there's really no point in having this case. And, and it's and it allows them to keep doing the same thing again and again and again. And, and I do hope the judge understands that this is not something that you can just get away with here, that, that even though you've lifted it for now, the fact that the government has said it could come back at any point means this is not moot at all. Exactly. Uh, that There is a discrepancy there, and I'm glad that you uh, pointed that out. Uh, there is a discrepancy between what the attorney general is saying in, 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 when he says, yeah, you know, the mandates are done, now gone, so this, the case is moot. Uh, but on the other hand, you have his uh, cabinet colleagues saying uh, that, uh, we're, you know, fully expect these mandates to return if uh, cases uh, you know, are once again out of control and our hospitals are under stress, we, we won't hesitate to bring them back. So there's a discrepancy between, you know, what the attorney general is saying and what, um, uh, you know, some of the ministers are saying. So uh, it is very sneaky. I think it's a way for them to kind of just quietly bury this. And so, you know, people forget about it and move on. The mandates are gone for now, at least. Um, and uh, it is pretty sneaky. But, uh, you know, kudos to the lawyer um, for, um, you know, coming up with uh, a way to, um, you know, keep this going. Rupa Subramania, my colleague at True North and host of the Rupa Subramania show and also author of this great piece at commonsense.news. Court documents reveal Canada's travel ban had no scientific basis. Rupa, great work as always, and, and thanks very much for coming on today. Thanks so much, Andrew. And again, I apologize for the to you and to your audience for the uh, audio issues and my phone ringing nonstop in the background. <laughs> Well, you're welcome back anytime. We won't hold it against you. Thanks very much, Rupa. Uh, good to talk to you as always. I, I want to just to put the context here. I, I want people to hear from Omar El Gabra the language that the government uses when it comes to these mandates. Take a take a look. Vaccination is making it possible to keep us safe while we cautiously return to doing the things that we love. And I would like to acknowledge that most Canadians have been doing their part in helping combat, combating COVID-19 by getting vaccinated. And we are today following up on our commitment prior to the election and a commitment that we've debated vigorously throughout the election campaign. With rigorous travel requirements that include mandatory vaccine measures, we are continuing to take action to help keep Canadians safe from COVID-19. In the transportation sector, this means rules are in place requiring travelers to be vaccinated in order to board planes, trains, or vessel as of October 30th. Starting tomorrow, passengers flying on domestic, transborder, or international flights departing from Canada and passengers on Via Rail and the Rocky Mountaineer trains must be fully vaccinated in order to board. So that is an older clip from right after the election when they first unveiled it. And I just noticed, by the way, that his uh, his vest that they gave him says health and safety rep, which I don't know why that amuses me, but it amuses me. So take from that what you will. But what he's doing there is telling us all that, oh, we're making good on a campaign commitment. This is all business as usual. It's all fine. Don't worry about it. And again, the idea that this is about safety. 
The idea that this is about safety, that's been the government's whole point. Even the, I mean, the health and safety vest. This is what the government claims. And we know now that it absolutely was not the case. I, I want to pivot and ever so slightly, I mean, we're still going to be on this general realm of uh, vaccine mandates and, and the resistance thereof, because I, I want to talk about the convoy. And a part of this admittedly is going to be a bit self-serving because I said in the post here, and I said in a previous show, uh, I'm going to do a, an ask me anything edition of the show, but ask me anything about the convoy. And I, I'm going to just take your questions about the convoy, about my new book, which is out. You can see it over over my shoulder there, the Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world. And by the way, I shouldn't say, I mean, you all told me you wanted me to do this. So I'm just uh, trying to give the people what they want, as they say. But the reason I, I want to do this now is because th there has been this weird sort of revisionism that's been taking place about the convoy. Last night, I don't know if any of you watched it. Everyone on Twitter was tagging me in it. Uh, there was uh, Glenn McGregor of CTV did this thing called a reporter's notebook, which I thought was going to be this like really melodramatic revisionism of the convoy. And, and to, to Glenn's credit, it really wasn't. I mean, it was kind of just like a, it's summer and no news is happening. So we're going to do a clip show. He, he walked around Ottawa on Canada Day, and he talked about some of the things he covered, and then uh, really all that happened was they just played a bunch of clips from the convoy, so there wasn't anything to get up in arms about, but I was very I was very grateful to all the people on Twitter that were like tagging Glenn, saying, oh, we, we don't need your uh, reporter's notebook, just buy Andrew Lawton's book, and I'm like, yes, please, please buy my book. It's on Amazon, it's a bestseller, and I will say, actually, on that note, it was the number one nonfiction book on Amazon.ca last week. It has been for three weeks in a row the number one Toronto Star bestseller, and it has been for three weeks in a row the number one Globe and Mail bestseller. And I, I share this partially to gloat, not entirely to gloat. I share it with you to explain why I'm a wee bit perplexed that there has been zero, zero mainstream media attention about this book. And I'll, I'll say zero with an asterisk because it depends on, on how you frame mainstream media. I've done a couple of radio interviews, one on, on Sirius XM Canada Talks with Dahlia Kurtz, who's, who's fantastic. And that was, I guess, sort of mainstream adjacent. I did a, a talk radio interview out in Saskatchewan. But all of the interviews I've done have been podcast and alternative media, which I'm happy to do. I love podcasts. I love independent media. And I am thrilled that this book has become a bestseller without needing the mainstream media. So the gatekeepers of the media have not needed to cover this for it to do well. But I, I'm still very, very disappointed. And, and I don't say that for my own self-interest, but I, I'm disappointed as someone who values truth and as someone who values the marketplace of ideas and as someone who values debate that there has been this gatekeeper effect that has been allowed to take hold, not just by the media, but also by Indigo. I, I don't even remember if I talked about it on the show in, in much detail, but a couple of weeks ago, there was that National Post article that acknowledged that Indigo has basically said, we do not want this book on our shelves. We have a deep knowledge of our customer and they don't think that the book should be on their shelves. They think it's more important to have the extra couple of dildos on aisle four than to have a book about Convoy. Private company, they have the right to do it. That's absolutely their prerogative. Jen Gerson, who is the co-founder of The Line, she had a, a piece that I thought was quite fair about this called A2 Bookstore. And she talked about, uh, you know, of course, bringing Julius Caesar into a modern context, how Indigo has gone all in on being a lifestyle brand rather than a bookstore. 
And if that's the way that Indigo can assure its survival, okay, fine. Indigo, have fun. Sell your candles, sell your blankets, sell your sex toys, and keep your books in a back corner with the dust on them. And if someone wants one, you have to be, oh yeah, I think we sell. I, I think I saw a book here. One, one second. I think I, I think we have books somewhere. Uh, Carl, where are the books? Oh yeah, they're just, you go down back the aisle, you you go under the pillows, you go through the archway, and then at the very back, they have a few on a, on a little display case there. And that's Indigo's problem. That's Indigo's decision. If the customers want it, fine. Interestingly enough, uh, Indigo, the hashtag boycott Indigo was trending, and I had nothing to do with it, but the hashtag boycott Indigo was trending on Twitter when that story came out. And then interestingly enough, uh, a week later in Financial Post, there was this like glowing story about Indigo's embrace of lifestyle brands and consumer trends and all of this without mentioning any of the controversy. I'm like, there's a, P- there's a PR person that has earned their take by getting that story planted in the, the newspaper. But I, the reason I bring all of this up, and I, and I realize that I am inherently talking about myself and my own book here, but I've been very clear since I started writing this that I want this story told by more people. I want more perspectives. I would love it if someone on the left wrote a book with their perspective on this because I think that's the way you unlock truth. I mean, that's that was John Stuart Mill's idea that the marketplace of ideas is critical because it's by me saying my piece and you're saying your piece that we either A, determine if one of us is right or alternatively unlock a truth that maybe lies between our two positions. And... It's shameful, absolutely shameful that the mainstream media is so terrified of entertaining a perspective that is not even sycophantic to the convoy, a perspective that is sympathetic to the convoy and strives to understand these people and strives to talk about what happened, that the media is so terrified of that perspective that they will not pay any attention whatsoever to this book. And interestingly enough, some of them have gone out of their way to not. And I'm taking your questions, by the way. I'm I'm getting a little ranty here. But if you have any questions, post them in the comments. And I will get to several of them before the show ends. But I'll give you one example of how... And I won't name names. Because believe it or not, I actually try to take the high road, even when other people don't. There was an interview that someone alerted me to uh, that I heard. I think it was last week at some point, maybe two weeks ago. And it was the it was the day or two after the National Post story about Indigo came out. And there was a, a Bell Media journalist who did an interview on air with another journalist who is more from the left. Very fair, very reasonable interview uh, with me. Sorry, let me I'll, I'll back up. She interviewed someone who interviewed me. And the interview that I had done with this person was a, a very fair and reasonable interview. But she interviewed... <laughs> this person about me and about my book. And it was a weird, it was a very weird interview because in the interview, she's like, you know what? And so why did Andrew write this? And so what is Andrew doing about this? And what, is, what did Andrew do in, in the, about this? And the other journalist at a certain point to his credit said, you know, I find it interesting that uh, the mainstream media hasn't really had any interest in this. And uh, you know, here's a great example of this. You're asking me about his book instead of having him on. And immediately she like just pivoted it. She, she basically just changed the topic to something entirely unrelated to the convoy and to the book. And I, I never like to judge people too harshly because I don't know. I mean, maybe it was just a slow day and the segment was thrown together at the last minute or whatever. Maybe I'm too generous. But it was like the epitome of bending over backwards to avoid talking to me about my book, which means to avoid 
If you are in Ontario, you know exactly what just happened right now because it happened to you too and probably terrified you like it did me. We just got an Amber Alert. So, uh, and fortunately, because we're not on television, the Amber Alert didn't actually interrupt the show, so you still have to look at me. But I, I wish the, the very best to uh, the person who has been identified in this Amber, Amber Alert. But uh, never live. okay, we're just not going to do it live anymore. We're doing like the anti-Bill O'Reilly thing. Oh, we're never doing it live. No, 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 we're not doing it live. But the, the challenge we have here is that all of the people all of the people who say, yes, you know, I, I want the truth and I want to be the guardian of the truth are, are saying we don't want that truth. I mean, just, just take a look at Indigo as a Canadian company. They say, well, yeah, we want to tell Canadian stories. And I'm like, hey, Canadian storyteller here. And if you look at uh, some of the, I, not that I spend much time on the Indigo website, especially now, but a lot of the books they're promoting are not Canadian books. And again, they have to go with what consumers want. If you look at the Canadian bestseller list, a lot of the books on there are not by Canadian authors. And it's interesting, the same government that says, oh, we need to focus on Canadian stories and Canadian content. Uh, where, where's my, uh, you know, Governor General Award? For, I don't, I'm not holding my breath, but uh, if, you know what? Someone nominate me for a Governor General Award. That's, we'll, we'll really celebrate this Canadian story that is the, the Freedom Convoy. Uh, this is uh, an Ask Me Anything edition of the show uh, about the convoy, about the book. If you want to go into vaccine mandates, you certainly can uh, as well. Uh, Murray says, who gave you the interview in Saskatchewan? Gormley. Yes. And John Gormley, I have been on a show many times over the years, but not in a, a great many years. So I love talking to uh, John Gormley. He did a, a great job. Uh, Chris writes, I was always under the impression that Indigo was for the books, wasn't it? I think it used to be. And I think when it was called Chapters, it was a bit more for the books. And now they, I think they still have some Chapters locations, but I think most of them have flipped to Indigo. And Indigo is, again, it's a lifestyle brand. It's, I mean, the whole point is that Indigo is the... I mean, if you watch that movie with Tom Hanks, You've Got Mail, Indigo is Tom Hanks. Like, there was that one line of, if we don't get them with our books, we'll get them with our mochaccinos or cappuccinos. Or was I haven't watched the movie in, like, 25 years or whenever it came out. But, like, Indigo is the Tom Hanks character. They're the villains in the, like, story of book sales. And the, the great irony is that they're not even selling books. So it's like they're galvanizing independent bookstores. And the, the real uh, flip there is that they're not even using their power and footprint to sell books. They're using it to sell other things. So I, I hope there's a resurgence of the independent bookstore. Uh, there is a, a question here. Why do left-wing people call the convoy truckers? But like TR, this doesn't work well for audio, but T-R-U-K-K-K-E-R-S. There was nothing KKK about the convoy at all. Uh, that's from Alexander. Now, I hadn't seen that until you shared it with me, but it doesn't surprise me. The one that I see a lot more of is the free dumb convoy. It's, you know, F-R-E-E-D-U-M-B, which is, you know, ever so clever or something. And, but again, it, it's people that don't understand who these people are. And Justin Trudeau did this. I mean, Justin Trudeau unleashed on these people the derision and vulgarity and crassness and crudeness by calling this a fringe minority with unacceptable views. So I, I don't normally think it's fair to blame politicians for what Canadians do. But in this particular case, Justin Trudeau gave people moral license to look down on these people, to otherize them, and to not listen to their concerns and to not hear them out. And one of the reasons I, I wrote the book is because I believed, and I still believe, that even if you oppose the convoy, you need to understand what it was about. 
I, I want to just before I move on to more of your questions, play this clip from Paul Champ. Uh, Paul Champ, who is the uh, lawyer representing the proposed class action against the convoy that got the injunction against horn honking. Take a take a listen. You came downtown. It was like some kind of dystopian nightmare. The 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 thunderous hum. Um, you could be blocks and blocks away, like on the other side of the Queensway, and you could still hear it. And as you get closer, it would just get louder and louder. And then if you're in the, in the heart of the red zone or the horn zone, um, I'll tell you, and I've got the medical experts on retainer now to tell me, uh, you are at very high risk of, of experiencing permanent uh, hearing damage and harm. Dystopian nightmare. Dystopian nightmare. Now, I have not read as much fiction as some other people. I, I'm prepared to cede that point. But when I think of a dystopia, you know, I, I've actually never read a dystopic novel or seen a dystopic film that has a bouncy castle in it. I, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I, again, I, I'm not as learned as some other people out there, but I, I have never heard of a dystopia with a bouncy castle. I've never heard... I, there was a dystopia once with a pig roast, but I've never heard of a dystopia with an inflatable hot tub. I've never heard of a dystopia with people linking their arms and singing We Are the World. Although, in fairness, if they kept singing We Are the World over and over, that might cross into dystopia. But there are a lot of things about the convoy that don't quite fit this uh, dystopic hellhole narrative that we're, we're getting from lawyer Paul Champ, who, who is, again, he's, he's literally the man uh, overseeing the lawsuit against the convoy, the proposed class action, which... Interestingly enough, and I, I talk about this in my book, every single organizer that I spoke to that I asked about this said that they, <laughs> it was actually hilarious, said that they secretly liked the injunction. They secretly liked when the court said you can't honk your horns anymore because everyone, believe it or not, was fed up with the horn honking. So the idea that this was like a menace just to the people of Ottawa is perhaps true, but it was a menace to everyone and it was done within the first few days because after that injunction, the horn honking did stop and it was a few isolated examples and it was quickly tamped down upon. Linda says, do they sell your book at Cole's bookstore? No, and this is the problem, Linda, because Cole's is owned by Chapters Indigo, which has decided that it is against carrying my book on store shelves. So they, they sell it on the Indigo website and they sell it on the Amazon website and they sell it at SutherlandHouseBooks.com, which is my publisher. But I don't actually know what bookstores, if any, have it on store shelves. There might be some independent ones that have it. But the biggest bookseller in Canada, as far as brick and mortar store, Chapters Indigo Coles, has said, nope, we don't like the cut of your jib. We do not want the convoy customers in our store. They don't really fit in here. They're not really our type of people. So you, you, can, just, you can just buy it online. You can buy it online. And look, it's a bestseller, sales are sales, but I want more perspectives and I want bookstores to understand that they are like libraries. I mean, libraries are carrying my book, which I mean, I don't know what I think about that. You can get it for free, but you can't buy it. So I don't know, take from that what you will. But the whole point of this is, is that bookstores and Indigo's own philosophy historically was about being this gateway to knowledge. And it's interesting now that they're putting my book in the same category as Mein Kampf, which is, yeah, we don't, we don't want it on the shelf. So again, their choice, but I, I can call it out as the wrong choice. And I don't say that as the author. I say that as a customer. I say that as a consumer. And a lot of the people emailing Indigo have, have said something very similar. 
Uh, we got a message here from Debbie. She says, class action re, uh, mask and travel mandates. Why do you suppose CBC not covering that story as well? I, I think the media will cover some of these cases when they get to trial. To be honest, I, I think there have been so many legal challenges that a lot of media don't necessarily know where to start on them and they, and they haven't been following all of them and all of that. But I, I think there is a, a point to the realities that we were talking about with Rupa earlier. And that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that they were hoodwinked. And a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that they bought into something which simply isn't true. And, and that is this idea that it was politics and not science driving the mandates that we clung to as though it was scientific gospel. And that some people still are. And that the government has threatened and just dangled above us as possibly coming back in the fall. And I have very, very little optimism left that the government won't do exactly that. We get a surge of, of cases in the fall, and all of a sudden we're right back into where we were six months ago. Mask mandates everywhere, vaccine mandates, vaccine passports uh, in some form. And, you know, there are some places that I don't think will do it. I mean, if Danielle Smith becomes the premier of Alberta, I certainly would guarantee you that Alberta is not going to go down that road. But we forget how much authority the federal government has. I mean, right now, unvaccinated people have been unable to book air travel because they were banned from it. And now they're all doing it. I mean, what happens if people are booking trips and then the government just brings back the mandate and says, oh, yep, the vaccinated can't fly anymore? Is, is this a normal way for a society to function? Absolutely not. But it's become normal in Canada. We've got to end things there. My thanks to all of you for tuning in to the program today. Uh, if you want to read the book for yourself, you can get it at Amazon. It's called The Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world. And like I said, it's not just a recap. It is a book that advances new information about the convoy. And I'm, I'm so honored by all of you that have reached out and sent me your uh, pictures with the book. If you have more of those, tweet them out and I'll retweet you if you post a picture of my book and let me know what you think about it. But thank you, uh, truly, because uh, I know, and I said this a few weeks ago, it pained a Toronto Star and a Globe and Mail book editor a great deal to have to type in the title of my book in the number one spot. And I would like them to have to keep that discomfort up for just a few more weeks. So uh, we'll talk to you soon, folks. This is The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.